see you this morning. Uh, my name is Jack, one of the elders here at Remedy. Uh, I'm happy to be with you. Um, we are in the middle of a series uh, called Remedy Church Member, um, looking at what it, what it means to be a member of a church, um, not just a participating member, but a, a strong, dedicated, and interactive member, the way that God wants it to be. Um, it's been a good, it's been a real good series as we kind of sort through some of this. Um, and <clears throat> if you've been with us and you haven't picked up one of these books uh, written by Tom Renier called I Am a Church Member, uh, we are using this to go along with the preaching series that we're doing. Um, and uh, there are real short, brief chapters that are in here um, that kind of complement what we're talking about on Sunday morning. So on Sunday morning, we take a passage of scripture and we unpack what it is that God is saying to us about this topic and then we read this to go along with it to kind of expand on that even a little bit more. So if you haven't got one of these, um, right at the info table, right around the back here, there is a stack of those. Please be sure to grab one um, and read that. This week you'll be reading chapter three, um, going through these in our community groups as well. So just wanted to make sure you knew about that picked it up. All right, like I said, this is the third part of the series. Uh, Fudd has preached the other two sermons, um, and what we're going to do now is we're going to kind of kind of turn a corner. The, the first sermons um, were on being a unifying church member. I can't get my sermon pulled up for some reason. Give me one second. There it is. All right. Um, we're talking about we're talking about being a unifying church member and a functioning church member, um, and so what does it look like to be a church member who is not just someone who comes and sits in the pews or sits in the chairs on Sunday morning, but how do I how do I function as a church member? What does that look like? And then how do I respond as a unifying church member? We see so many places in the Scripture where we are told that we're to fight for peace and we're to fight for unity. And, and what I said this, about this morning is we are going to kind of turn a corner a little bit because what the subject that we're going to look at this morning is pretty, pretty intense. In fact, it could be said that what we're going to talk about this morning has ruined more churches than moral failure, embezzlement, or any other type of scandal we're talking about personal preference. So many times, churches are rendered useless and ineffective because members of the church exalt their personal preference above everything else. Now, I, I want to I start this morning with a, uh, with a couple of disclaimers. Um, first one is this. We all have opinions, and that is okay. In fact, it's not just okay, that's good. One of the glorious things about the gospel is that as Jesus calls people into his body, he calls people of different ages, of different backgrounds, of different personalities, of this different character traits. God brings in this 
great group of various and diverse people and in and through the gospel brings them together in the commonality of Jesus and we see this unifying work of the gospel. And when we come to know Christ and we're part of the body, we don't lose our personalities. We don't become clones. We each have some input, some things that we can give. But the danger is is when those personal opinions get elevated. You see, we aren't clones of each other. We aren't all falling in line. But what we are is people who are more and more taking on the character of Christ. So Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, I want to start it out with, by saying that because there, the danger in diving into this subject of putting our personal preferences below the preferences of other people, the danger could be that you hear me saying, your opinion doesn't matter. Your thoughts are worthless. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that when we talk about this, that things you think or things that you like or things you enjoy have no matter, no worth whatsoever. But what I want us to do is kind of step back from that for just a little bit and say, what level do I bring those to bear in the church? How do I discuss those? How do I talk about those? How do I interact with those? That's what we want to look at this morning. So I don't want you to hear me saying, this is a time for you to stop sharing your opinion and just get in line. That's not where we're going. So I won't, I won't, I'm not going to come back to that. So as I'm sharing, you got to remember, okay, remember what he said in the very beginning. I ain't fussing at you, okay? But we got, we got to get this. I want this to be part of our groundwork. The second thing is this. There's a difference between looking for a church and staying in a church. I, I feel like this needs to be said because of the way that our church culture sometimes happens. What oftentimes happens is when you don't like something that's going on in the church, what do people start doing? They just start visiting other churches. They just try to find somewhere where their preferences are met. Now let me say this. There are legitimate reasons to stop going to a church. This isn't a sermon on that, so I'm not going to spend five, ten minutes explaining to you what are the reasons that you could and shouldn't lose a church. If you want to know those, come talk to me or Fudd. We can help you out with that. But this sermon is not about that, so I'm not going to go into it here. But I do want to say there are legitimate reasons to moving from fellowshipping with one body to another. But what I want to get at here is when we become a church member... We make a covenant with a group of people that you are part of that family. And if you've been part of any family whatsoever, you know that families have good times and families have bad times. Families have happy times, and sometimes people in the family want to go out to eat at McDonald's, and you don't like McDonald's, but because everybody else wants to, you go to McDonald's. There are times in every family, in a covenant family, when there will be things that may not go our way, that may not go the way that we think they should. And what I want to do this morning is help us think through, when that happens, what is it that the Scripture would say to me so that I know how to respond in a way that honors Jesus? Because what we don't want to do is simply say, 
well, I was part of that church, I loved that church, I loved the people there, but then they decided to sing four songs in the beginning instead of three songs, and that's just way too many songs, so now it's time for me to leave. And the ones of you who are laughing are like, oh, yeah, I was at that church. I know what you're talking about. But those kind of things happen. And what it reveals, can I just say this? What it reveals is that if we're at that level, that we, are we really even committed to what Christ has called us to be committed to in that local body? And, and I think it reveals something deeper about our heart. So what I will hope this morning is that as we, as we dig through this, you will hear this as one of your pastors loving you, caring for you, saying, I am speaking predominantly to this morning people who have said, Remedy Church is my home. Some of you are visiting with us and you're like, what in the world have I stepped into? No, it's, it's going to be all good, I promise. But if you're a member of a church, this is good for you to hear. This is good for your soul. And if you're at the point right now where you're looking for a church, what I hope is that this will give you some handles, some things to grab onto that you will say, yes, that is what God wants. Now let me put this into practice, get into a body and be the kind of member that God wants me to be. And when it's good, I will celebrate. And when things may be tough, I will persevere and endure for the glory of Jesus. That's what we're about this morning. So, I am incapable of doing this on my own, so I'd ask you to pray with me um, as we ask the Spirit to give us guidance this morning. Father, you are great and glorious, and Lord, we know that the, the church is not a human invention. It is not an idea that we came up with, and so Father, as we join in with what you have laid before us, Father, we don't want to do this merely in our own wisdom and by our own plans and by our own desires. Father, we want to reflect what it is you want from us. We want to live that. We want to enjoy that. We want to dive into that. We want to be a people who are a people of the word and people who are committed to you and to your church. And God, I thank you for a place like Remedy where really haven't experienced a lot of this but God, the potential for it is always there. So Father, would you this morning send the Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts to receive the Word that it would take root in our souls and it would bear fruit and that we would exemplify Jesus as we love and serve and put others first. And God, my prayer is that you would start with Fudd and myself, that, that, that we wouldn't simply talk about this, but this would be our lives, this would be our focus, this would be our ultimate desire, that we would see this, hear this, live this, and I pray for everyone else who is here, whether they're a member of Remedy or not, that this would be a time when they meet with you, that you would root out anything that would cause them to not be the kind of church member you want, and that God, in and through that, we would grow, glorify you, and we would exalt Jesus. But God, as we're going to read this morning, none of us lives to ourselves, none of us die to ourselves. If we live or we die, it is for Jesus. That's our prayer and that's our desire. We ask that you would make it so in our lives even this morning. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 
So what I want to do this morning is open up to Romans chapter 14. So if you have a Bible, I'd ask you if you would to open up to Romans 14. It is cool outside, but hot up on this stage. I am not going to lie. Sweater was not the best idea this morning. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. We are, we are going to be in most of the chapter. Now, this is, um, if you've been here with us, you know typically what we try to do is just have a small chunk of verses and just work very much through that. Um, I'm going to be in chapter 14 this morning, which is 23 verses. That is a lot of verses. We're not going to cover every single word in every single verse. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to look at this and see how this might help us this morning. So Romans chapter 14, I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 to set us off. Uh, we will talk about some verses that are in 10 through 23. The bulk of what we're going to be looking at this morning, though, is in 1 through 9. So we're going to read 1 through 9 this morning as we get started, and then we will, we will go through and we'll look at the other verses as we get to them. Romans 14, verses 1 through 9. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in the honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the living and of the dead. First thing I want us to know this morning is that every church faces occasions for conflict and division. Every church faces occasions for conflict and division. Now, in some churches, they seem more prominent than others, but every church has the occasion or opportunity for conflict and division to rise. Now, this portion of the letter, as we get into Romans 14, uh, Paul is talking about living out our justification. So he's talking about what it means to be those who have been justified in faith, been made right by God through the cross. And so even as you're going through all of these parts, he's talking about what it means to live this out. And in verse 2 and 5, what we find is that in Rome, and we're, we're, it seems as though Paul is addressing two specific instances in Rome where there was occasion for there to be conflict or disunity. And it seems as though as we're looking at these, they kind of come out and we can understand a little more of what's going on here. Look in verse 2. Verse 2, he says, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Then in verse 5, one person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. What we see here is that what Paul is bringing out is that there were believers in the church that came out of a Jewish background. And because they were raised in Judaism, they knew the law, they had the law memorized, there were things that you did do and things you didn't do. 
you didn't eat certain kinds of meat or meat that was killed in certain ways or in certain places. And you did worship on one day in particular. Now, these people who have been raised in this have heard the message of Jesus. They've placed their faith in salvation for him. They believe that in trusting in Christ and what he did on the cross, they have been made right with God. But they're reading the scriptures, and some of them are saying, well, because of what Jesus has done, I can eat whatever I want because I'm free from the law. And I don't have to worship on the Sabbath. I can worship on any day. You see, what happened in a culture like Rome, they didn't have just butcher shops where you could go get food. They didn't have just a meat locker where they had things frozen and you could get stuff that had been imported because it was killed in a kosher way. Most of the meat that was available was either sacrificed to an idol earlier that day or was meat that wasn't allowable under the law to eat. So some of the Christians who were there were saying, I can eat whatever I want because Jesus has freed me from the law. There's no condemnation. I know that an idol is really nothing other than a statue. So they can, I had a a professor one time in seminary, I can go eat a Zeus burger. It's totally okay because Zeus isn't real. And so some Christians were saying that, like, I can eat whatever. You know, I'm kind of with them. I had bacon for breakfast this morning, and I am so grateful for the cross because I can eat bacon. All right? But some of the Christians who were there would look at that and they would say, I can't, I can't eat that. It was sacrificed to an idol. Or, that's bacon. It smells great, but I can't eat it. It's from a pig. I can't do that. And so there was opportunities for conflict because one group thought one thing and another group thought another thing. Same thing happened with Sabbath worship. Christians began worshiping on Sunday, the first day of the week, which is not the Sabbath, which is actually Saturday, the last day of the week. And they began worshiping on Sunday because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so therefore, Christians began worshiping on Sunday. Well, those who came out of the Jewish background, some of them said, yeah, but but what about the Sabbath? I feel like we're supposed to be worshiping on the Sabbath. And there was opportunities there for conflict. Christians said, well, the new Christian Sabbath is Sunday. Some of them said that. Some of them said, but yeah, God didn't change the Sabbath. And there's opportunities for conflict. Now, again, the point of us is not to dig deep and spend 25 minutes explaining why each of those may be right, wrong, nuanced, or whatever. What I want to do is I wanted to point out there was this opportunity for conflict to happen right here because of what people thought about these different situations. Now, this is good for us to to look at because these issues are theological issues. These issues rise out of people wrestling with the scriptures, looking at at the law and how does this relate to me? How do I go about being obedient to God? How am I exercising my faith? And the reason why I point that out is because most of the time when we get to issues of personal preference in church, a lot of times they aren't. I've been wrestling with Scripture, and I'm fully convinced that this is the way, but I don't understand how that matches up with where we are. Most of the time, the way we deal with things is, I don't like that song. I don't like the way this is going on. I don't like the way this is structured. I would rather do it this way. 
And if pressed, not always, and I don't want to make too big of a generalization here, but if pressed, not always, it's oftentimes not a scriptural, biblical, doctrinal position, but a personal, I just rather would not do it that way, or I've always done it another way. That's why as I was praying through this, asking, Lord, where do we go? This passage jumped out to me because the principles that Paul lays out with how to deal with these big issues really then spill over even greater into issues of personal preference and not doctrinal differences. Because if this is the way we handle doctrinal differences, how much more should it be the way that we handle issues of personal preference? So we've got these two things. Paul has already addressed this in Romans 8. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. What is he saying there? The law is not able to make us holy. It shows us the standard of holiness, but because of the sinfulness of our flesh, it is weakened. It can't make us holy, but God has made us holy outside of the law. Paul even goes on to say this. He says in verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Paul steps up and he says, hey, I know that I can eat bacon. It's yummy. I like it. It's good. In my mind, I am fully convinced that that no longer is binding on me and I am free from this. He says, but I also know that if it goes against someone's conscience and they believe I should not do this, it's wrong for them to eat it. Paul could have stepped out and said, you guys are just, you don't get it. You're so shallow. You're so not right. What is wrong with you? Why are you acting that way? And he could have chided them because they were weak in the faith. But Paul doesn't say that. He says, I'm convinced that I can do this, but I completely understand where they're coming from. And by the Spirit, he says, and you know what? They should live that way themselves because they have this conviction. Paul doesn't come down on them. Paul says, you know what? I got this. And then he says in verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. Whoa. So what happens then is in this opportunity for conflict, if I push my way too much, I'm no longer loving them by telling them how much they need to be like me. Or they need to do it the way that I think it needs to be done. Paul does here is he gets to the root of the issue. What should be our ultimate motivating factor. A love for Jesus and a love for others. And oftentimes what we find is that when we push our personal preference, what we're doing is not exhibiting a love for Jesus and not exhibiting a love for others. We're exhibiting a love for ourselves. We are number one. But that's not what Christ has called us to do. Paul's way of handling the issue is to put aside his freedom and privileges for others. This is the way of love. He doesn't bail on them and he doesn't fight and quarrel over it. It's interesting. Rainier writes in his chapter, chapter 3, the, the, the chapter we're looking at this week. The strange thing about church membership is that you actually give up your preference when you join. 
don't get me wrong, there, there may be much about your church that you like a lot, but you are there to meet the needs of others, you are there to serve others, you are there to give, you are there to sacrifice. That's, that's a hard thing. And I want, I want you to hold on to these. I want you to hold on to that, that tension, that difficulty, because we're going to bring this full circle in the end and show the great and ultimate joy that there is in that. So, every church has occasion for conflict and disunity. The question I've got, though, is how do we know, how do we know if we might be the cause of that? How do we know that? Well, the second point I want to bring out is that there are warning signs that we value our preferences over serving others. There are warning signs. Now, again, a small caveat, this doesn't say that if any of you answer, yes, that's me on any of those, you are now causing disunity and you're a horrible church member. That's not what the point of this. The point of this is, is that by God's grace, oftentimes what he will do is he will point something out, a tendency we may have or an area, uh, a direction we may be going. And he does that by his grace to help us see it and to turn from that. So how do we know? Well, the things I want to point out are here in this passage. They're not the only ones, but they are some of them. So four things I want to point out. One one warning sign is that you are always the strong in the faith. What I mean by that is you look at verse 1. Paul says, as for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him. Now, I, I, in, in the experience that I've had, which granted is somewhat limited, but the experience I've had when talking to people about how do I deal with somebody, you know, this personal preference thing, if this passage goes to, I've never heard someone say, yeah, I'm the weak one in the faith. The tendency is to come to this passage, and when we have a disagreement with somebody, is to automatically put ourselves in the shoes of, I'm the strong one, they're the weak one. Now, that could be the case. It could be that you are the strong one in the faith. But the warning sign that we value our preference over everything else is anytime we approach the situation, we don't even consider, am I the one who's weak in faith here? Does this bother me because maybe my faith is not strong enough? When we come to every single situation and we automatically put ourselves as the one is, I'm the strong one, they're the weak one, what we do is we really put ourselves in danger because it can lead very quickly and easily into a very sense of spiritual pride. But spiritual pride is not a good place. Maybe we are the strong one. But it's interesting what Paul writes then in uh, verse chapter 15. We who are strong have an obligation. You get this? An obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. You see, what oftentimes happens, and all right, let, me, let me just make this very personal. What oftentimes happens to me is that I will put myself and I will approach the situation and I'll say, I'm the strong one here, so they just need to start living and thinking like me. But what Paul writes in Romans 15, 1 there is, if I am the strong one, my 
obligation is to then lay aside whatever I've got to build up the other person. Sometimes we think we're the strong ones, but then that means we got to pull them up to our level. What Paul says is we, if we are the strong ones, our obligation is to automatically think, okay, so then what I need, I need to lay something aside. If I am the strong one, my obligation is to lay something aside for those who I'm, who I'm disagreeing with, those who may be weaker in the faith. So the warning sign is we're always the, the strong one, but we don't operate like it. Next warning sign is that your opinions are equal to correct doctrine. Your opinions are equal to correct doctrine. Notice what he says again in verse 1 of chapter 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. The idea here is that Paul is, is warning them against saying, hey, don't just welcome them in. Don't be this, this fake hospitality so that you can bring them in and show them where they're wrong. The idea here is that we always are, are, are out to change everybody because what we believe isn't an opinion, it's a doctrine. It's truth. Now, granted, I, I, I pray that we believe proper doctrine. I pray that we do believe right things. But when our opinions over whatever matter might be are elevated to the sense of this is doctrinal truth, and if you don't agree with my opinion, then you're not worthy of being fellowshiped with, you're a weak person in the faith, you're less than me. And they get to that point, we have wandered into major, major problems. Paul says we're to welcome others, not to quarrel over opinions. But what does it say in chapter 15? To build each other up. Some major differences. I've been around churches, I've been around places where people who, if you don't agree with me, it's my way or the highway. But it looks like that's the exact opposite of what Paul is saying here. So warning sign is your opinions are equal to correct doctrine. Third warning sign is you don't look up to anyone. And, and I kind of say that as kind of a, a play on words here, but if, if we look at verse 3, Paul says, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats and i was i was thinking about that and i kind of got this picture of, of anytime somebody is is um is self-righteous you know in english we say they're looking down on someone and so you're looking down there's there's when we say that 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 language we we all understand that that means i think i'm better than you and then we talk also the opposite of that language. If you look up to someone, there's a sense in which you admire them and you think good things about them. But notice what happens here. Paul says, let not the one who, um, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on him who eats. What he brings out here is there's a sense in which both sides have the tendency to look down on the other. And Paul says, no matter where you are in this situation, at any point in time that you're looking down, as it were, on the other one, you've wandered into sin. Why? It's not the way of love. If anyone ever had the reason to look down on people and be judgmental and arrogant against them, would it not have been Christ? The one who was perfect, who could have looked down on us because of our sin? Yet what did he do? 
Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being, being, being born in the likeness of men. If we can't think of ways that we are counting others as more important than ourselves, in essence, looking up to them instead of looking down, there's a great danger that we're not living as a self-sacrificing churchman. Fourth warning sign is this. You wonder more how something will affect you rather than how this will advance the kingdom. What I mean by that, something happens. A change pl- takes place. Uh, uh, something's done differently. I, I don't know. We, we could come up with lots of different examples. But when you hear about that, is your first response, well, that's going to mess me up. That's going to make me have to get to church 30 minutes earlier. That, that, that's going to make me, wait a minute, that's going to be really inconvenient for me. Now granted, it may be inconvenient for you. But if your automatic response is, that's going to make it harder for me. I don't like it. Why isn't our automatic response, is that something that's going to extend the kingdom? Is that something that's going to allow us to reach more people? Is that something that's going to allow us to grow both personally and corporately? Is that something that's going to allow us to make more disciples? And maybe it's not. And maybe you're the one that that God uses to bring that attention of those who make the decision. But the question isn't automatically, well, that's really going to make it inconvenient for me, or I don't like that. If that's it, then what we have to say, that's a warning sign for us that we may be naturally bent toward not being a self-sacrificing church member. Okay, we've gone through those two things, and they're, they're kind of weighty. But here's what I want to end with this morning. And I hope that this kind of brings it full circle. And I hope what this does is this does kind of encourage us and really just kind of pushes us to say, I want this to be true of me. I want to be this kind of church member. No matter where you're a member of, I hope that this will just just really grab a hold of you. The last thing is this. Every occasion for conflict and division is an opportunity for the gospel to reign. We started out and said every church has an occasion for conflict and division. But what we want to know is that every occasion for conflict and division is an opportunity for the gospel to reign. Look at verses 17 through 19. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. (coughs) Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. As I said earlier, the danger in talking about a topic like this is that it comes across as a lecture or a disciplinary talking to, as we say down south. But that's not what this is. Paul says the kingdom is not about secondary issues. The kingdom is not about those things. But of righteousness and peace and joy. 
And what we find is that when our personal preferences are highest on the priority list, it doesn't lead us to pursue true righteousness, true peace, and true joy. Because those things are only found in the gospel. True righteousness, true peace, true joy is only found in immersing ourselves in the reality that though we were separated from God, though we don't deserve any type of relationship with God, God came for us, came looking for us and found us and redeemed us and brought us into his family. When there was conflict between us and God, Jesus stepped into earth took on human flesh, lived a perfect life, died the death we deserved, raised to walk in newness of life, all for us to resolve the conflict that was there. We did nothing but bring conflict to the table, and Jesus came and wiped it all away through his death on the cross. And as we trust that, as we place our faith in the gospel, and we understand the sheer magnitude of that, we are now being conformed into the image of Christ, and we have an occasion and an opportunity when something like this arises to be the way that Christ wants us to be, to exemplify Jesus in the way that we pursue righteousness, that we pursue a life that, that hates sin, that longs for holiness, that longs to be obedient to God's word. We exemplify Christ in the way that we fight for peace and that we pursue ultimate joy in Jesus, not in getting our way. You see, the reason why this is important is because this isn't just a let's don't have church fights and everybody get along issue. This is a gospel issue. If we are people who've been redeemed by Jesus, this is the way that our lives should be lived. And we are all dealing with issues. We're all dealing with our own sinfulness. And we're all being conformed to the image of Christ. But what I want to do is I want to challenge us. I want to encourage and exhort us. Let us reflect Christ in the way that we approach and live with one another. As we do that, we are the body of Christ. As we do that, we do exemplify this functioning and unifying church members. Why? Because Jesus is supreme over even our personal preferences and desires. So as we close out tonight, or tonight, it's been a long morning already, I guess. Um, as we close out this morning, a couple of things for you to, to take with you. Let me read this, let me read this quote. I was, I was going to skip it, but I think I want to read it because I think it ties in right here. Tom Renier writes, we will never find joy in church membership when we are constantly seeking, th seeking things our way. But paradoxically, we will find the greatest joy when we choose to be last. Three things I want to leave you with this morning. Kind of some things to grab onto, to think about, to maybe try to start putting some of this in practice. The first thing is, I'd like to encourage you to solidify your commitment to your local church. Solidify your commitment to your local church. Some of you are already there. If you're already there, just hold on. Let me talk to some, let me talk to some other people who may be in the room, but I'm going to come back to you. 
if you, if you haven't committed to a local church, if you haven't covenanted to be a part of a family, none of this will matter to you. This won't matter to you. Because when things don't go your way, you'll just bail. You have no reason to stick around unless you're just ornery and you like a fight. And if you're just ornery and like a fight, please don't go. Solidify your commitment to a local church. Find a church and say, I'm, I'm, I'm planting my life here. I'm, I'm here until God puts me somewhere else. I'm here. I want to commit to be here, to love here, to serve here, to care for other people. I want to be here. We, we live in too much of a culture that sees church membership as no big deal. It's just putting your name on a roll. It's not putting your name on a roll. It's being part of a family. And when you're part of a family, sometimes things get messy. And families work through that stuff. We'll have occasions that things may get messy. But as a family, we want to be committed. We want to work through that. I want to challenge some of you who are college students. I want to challenge you to really think deeply about church membership. I remember being in college, like church membership didn't mean a whole lot to me at all. I'd just go to one church one week, go to another church another week, or I'd go to church for a little while. Here's what I want to challenge you with. If you're going to remain a, a member of your home church where you live, I would say do that if you plan on being back there. But, it, but if you're in Rock Hill every single weekend and you're plugging in on Sunday mornings and you're serving and you're doing all of that, I don't think it's wrong for you to say, I want to join, I want to plant myself in this church. Talk to your pastor back home about that. Talk to your family about that. Because your church membership is a place where you're bought in and you're serving. And I understand that there's some reasons why people don't do that. And that's a tough issue for some. But I want to challenge you at least think about that. If, if you go to that church twice a year, but you're at this church or another church here in Rock Hill, 48 out of 52 weeks, plant yourself, be there, be a part of it. If you're a regular attender, and you, you come, you come, but you've not taken that step into membership, I'd like to challenge you to really think deeply about that. Ask yourself why. Is there, is there a valid reason why you say, I have not become a member? And if there's a valid reason, can I, can I just push in a loving but, but really concerned way? If there's a valid reason why you wouldn't plant yourself as a member here, can I, can I lovingly but pushingly ask you why you still come? I don't mean that because I'm trying to drive you away. We want you to plant yourself here. If you're a regular attender, we want you to be a member, not because we're trying to increase the roles. Numbers on the roll matter nothing to us. We love you. We want to shepherd you. We want to walk with you. And we want you to make the commitment that we've already made to you. You see, if church membership means nothing, it doesn't matter if you join or not. But it does mean something. So I want to challenge you. Find somewhere, plant yourself down. If you're already a church member, I want you to think about something. I, I don't know about you, but when I, read, when I read books like this, you know, there'll be things like the sign or questions to do. And honestly, I usually skip over those things. I'm just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Cause it's because I've written Bible studies and stuff before, so I know the questions. So I was like, okay, it's just a question. I don't need to worry about that. But in the each, at the end of these chapters, there's actually a, a small commitment. And some of you who are, um, you know, you have to do everything. You've already signed these. 
Um, but there's some pledges that talk about being a church member. If you're, if you're a, a church member here at Remedy, I want you to actually read those and consider signing them. Some of you are like, that's so goofy. I don't care. Just, just do it. Don't sign it in your head. Sign it on paper. There's something about that, of reading that and saying, you know what? Yes, I'll do this and writing your name down there. You see, we can't treat church membership like it's no big deal. If we do, everything I said this morning really won't matter because you won't fight for those things because they won't matter to you. Second thing is this. Examine your heart against the warning signs. This is something I've been doing as I've been studying this. I've really... I've really been asking myself these questions. Am I always the one who is strong? Where am I weak in the faith? Is it, is it, am I always kind of like the one who's right? Does that make me look down on other people? I've, I've been asking myself these questions. So I just ask you, examine your heart. As I said earlier, if we see this by God's grace, there are things that we can turn from before they even get acted upon. If you do have an opinion that differs with the way something has happened or you're not sure, you don't, you don't like something or you think something may be wrong, here's what I would say. Share your opinion in a Christ-honoring way. Humbly, clearly, and biblically. Bud and I are the first ones to admit we, are, we got lots of things wrong. We don't do things right. We do some things right. We don't have the market cornered on uh, doing things the way that they absolutely have to be done. But we're praying. We're asking God, show us how to lead this family, how to, to watch over and to shepherd and care and, and move our church in the direction that God wants us to. And I tell you what, there's nothing that I think we welcome more than somebody comes to me and says, hey, look, something's been bothering me. I'm not sure if this is, if this is just personal preference or if this is God speaking, I don't know. I've been reading the Bible. This verse kind of makes me feel like I'm right. Can I put this before you and ask you why we, you do this or why we're doing this? Or that There is nothing in the world I think we would welcome more than that to say. Absolutely. Yes. Maybe we've gotten it wrong, but let us share with you why we do what we do. That's, that's building each other up. And then the last thing I would say is pursue righteousness, peace, and joy in all things. These are ours because of what Christ has done. We have already been counted righteousness. We have already been given the ultimate source of peace and joy. Let us pursue them with reckless abandon in our relationship with the Father and in our relationship with each other. Pursue those things, and as we pursue them, we will reflect Christ in the gospel. Jesus, speaking to his disciples in Mark 9, 35, he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the truth of the gospel. I pray that we would hear this, that we would love this, that we would follow hard after you, we would be a place where when we differ, we would love each other enough to 
put each other first, that pride would have no place amongst us, but in humility we would love others more than ourselves and so exemplify Christ. So God, help us to do this in a way that only you